The 9th of November, 1989, was a momentous day in the history of the world. The fall of the Berlin Wall was broadcast all across the world. But what did that event actually achieve? What were the effects? On the one hand, you could say it brought about the end of the Cold War, which was declared three weeks later in Malta. The the end of it was uh, there. On the other hand, you could say it brought about a reunited Germany that happened 11 months later. You could say that it brought about the downfall of the communist leaders. You could say that it brought the reconciliation of families torn apart uh, by uh, the division. It was a political event. It was an emotional event. It was an event that saw empires fall. It was an event that saw families reunite. One event, but many different angles, many different effects, many different achievements from that one event. This Easter morning, I want us to consider the death and resurrection of Jesus and bathe in the wonderful effects of the cross and the raising to life of Jesus. I want us to bask in the wonder of all that it achieved. So this morning, really, it's hot chocolate for the soul. That's what I want this morning as we bathe in what Jesus has done. Last Sunday, we thought about if Jesus didn't die and rise, well, then what? Well, this morning, I want us to think about because Jesus did die and rise, then what? So we're going to keep it sound and we're going to keep it simple this morning. Four points. One verse each, one word each, and no long words, just to encourage us this morning, just to help us rejoice in these truths. If you're not a believer in Jesus' death and resurrection this morning, listen in and hear what you're missing out on. Firstly, this is our longest heading for the morning, five letters. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can enjoy mercy. Mercy. Here's our one verse to help us. This is from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Because of Jesus' death, God has shown us mercy. Mercy is when you don't get the bad things that you deserve. It's the judge showing compassion to the convict. It's the presidential pardon, but without all the sleaze and stuff. It's the king forgiving the rebel. It's the parent forgiving the child. Mercy is when that person is well within their rights to treat you badly. But they don't. They choose instead to show you leniency, clemency, compassion, mercy. God shows us mercy in this verse by redeeming us and forgiving us. Now, redeem is a wonderful word. It's what happens to a slave when they're set free. It's what happens to a hostage when they're released. It's what happened to the Israelites when God rescued them from Egypt. And here in this verse in Ephesians, it says that we have been redeemed by his blood. His blood there meaning Jesus' blood. Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that we might go free. That we might no longer be slaves to our own passions and desires. The Bible's picture is that we've sold ourselves to sin. That we think we're in control, but we're not. We're slaves to our selfish passions and desires. 
Most of us are quite happy about that slavery, but slavery it is. If you don't believe me, then try and stop. Stop putting yourself first and live for others. I was struck a few years ago uh, when I read that um, uh, Mother Teresa's diaries had been sort of found and some of them had been published. And they found actually in her diaries that she was wracked with guilt. That she was not the person that everyone thought that she was. Even someone that we think of as one of the most selfless people. Actually, it turns out that when they looked at themselves, they thought quite differently. All of us are slaves to sin. And it destroys us and it destroys others as we seek our own way at the expense of others. We judge and we use and we abuse. That is slavery to sin. But God here redeems his people from sin. And that doesn't mean that Christians are perfect or no longer sin, but the slavery is gone. We're free to serve another, God. And whereas serving sin only brought us death and misery, serving God brings us life and joy. We're no longer slaves, says God, but sons and daughters. We are adopted into his family. Redemption, that word there, takes us from slaves to sons, from foes to family. So he shows this mercy by redeeming us. And he's also shown his mercy by forgiving our sin. He's not just brought us back from sin, he's forgiven the sin that we've already committed. That word trespass is another Bible word for sin. He's forgiven us. He's wiped the slate clean. He's taken our sin and dumped it in the deepest ocean. He's taken it and sent it away into the desert, never to return. Those are some of the Bible's pictures of what God has done with our sin. One of my favourite pictures is from Psalm 103. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will, his, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I love that picture. As far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far it is from the North Pole to the South Pole? I looked this up this week. It's 12,436 miles. That sounds quite far, doesn't it? But if you head to the North Pole and you get there and you keep going, do you know what happens next? You start heading back south. You end up doing a big boomerang. Eventually, you end up as far south as you can be. You're at the South Pole again. But do you know, if you set off east from here and you keep going, you know, you, you go past East Yorkshire, past Hull, into the North Sea, you keep going and you keep going. Eventually, you'll reach the international date line. And do you know what happens if you keep going? You'll still be heading east. You can keep heading east forever. The same happens if you head west. It's not north to south, 12,436 miles. It's east to west. You can keep on going forever. That's the kind of forgiveness God offers. 
Not forgiveness that keeps coming back to bite. That keeps being brought up at every argument, even though you've said that it's been forgiven. It's a complete forgiveness. A total forgiveness. How? Because of the cross. Because of the events of Easter. Jesus' death. Jesus takes our sin on himself and does away with it. He becomes sin for us and is killed in our place. So our sin is gone, done, dusted, forgiven by God. Well, how is this hot chocolate to the soul? Well, if we're being honest, we know that we're sinful. We know that we've done wrong. For many of us, we struggle with that, don't we? The past haunts us. But the fact that God shows us mercy gives us two truths that we need to cling to. Mercy shows us and implies that we're sinners. We need forgiving. And that fits the reality of what we know, doesn't it? But mercy also means that that sin has been dealt with. It has been forgiven. And that means Christianity is not a lifelong guilt trip. It was certainly never intended to be. The offer of mercy only reflects the reality of the situation. We are sinners and we know it. But mercy means we are now forgiven sinners. And we must hold both those truths together. If we forget one part, we'll spend our lives despairing. When we should be rejoicing in the free mercy of the Saviour. Let every thought of the greatness of your sin lead you to the amazing thought of the even greaterness of his mercy. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can enjoy mercy from God. That was our first heading, mercy. Our second heading this morning, just four letters. Love. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can know love. Here's the verse, it's Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has shown his love to us at the cross. Now Jesus' death on the cross only shows God's love because of our first point that actually shows us mercy. Some people want to make the cross just a demonstration of God's love without the mercy bit. But if it didn't do anything then it's not a demonstration of love. Let me explain. Imagine a husband and a wife go on holiday together to Blackpool. The wife starts to doubt how much he loves her, probably because he's taken her to Blackpool for their holiday. The husband says, let me show you how much I love you, and then throws himself off Blackpool Pier and allows himself to drown. How is that a demonstration of love? It's not, is it? It makes no sense. Okay, same scenario, but this time they're talking and the wife falls off Blackpool Pier into the water and starts to drown. The husband jumps into the water to rescue her, even though he's not a strong swimmer. And he manages to get her to safety, but in the process he drowns himself. Now that death is a demonstration of love. He loves his wife so much that he would risk his life, even give his life, to rescue her. And that is what the Lord Jesus did. 
He came and willingly gave his life to rescue us. We, like that wife, cannot now doubt how much we're loved. One of our boys asked me a tough question a couple of weeks ago. Daddy, they said, why did God let sin into the world? Why would he make Adam and Eve if he knew that they would give in to sin? That's a tough question, isn't it? And there are lots of different ways that you can answer it or go at answering it, isn't it? It isn't there. Well, God did not intend us to be robots. That's one way you could go. Or, well, God did, uh, didn't create sin. He's not the author of sin. That would be another way to go at it. Well, the end, the new creation is even better than the beginning, the first creation. That's another way to go, isn't it? Here's how I answered it. How did Adam and Eve know how much God loved them? And the answer came back, well, he created them. He gave them a wonderful world to live in. He walked with them in the garden. He talked to them. Then I asked them, how do we know how much God loves us? And they said, Jesus died on the cross for us. Okay, I said, so who knows more about how much God loves them? Them or us? Well, we do. We do. We know just how much God loves us because of all that God's gone through to rescue us. Not just make us, but rescue us. That's only part of the answer. But we can be more sure of God's love for us than Adam and Eve, or Abraham and David, or Moses and Noah. The giants of the Old Testament knew nothing like as much of the love of God that we do because of the cross. The cross shows us without a shadow of a doubt that we are loved. So if you ever doubt that you are loved, look at the cross. As the old hymn goes, inscribed upon the cross we see in shining letters, God is love. How could you miss it? How could God show you more than he has shown you how much he loves you than by the cross? I mean, what more could he give? What more could he offer? What more could you ask of proof of his love? So how is this hot chocolate for the soul? Well, because even when we feel that no one else loves us, we can know for certain that God loves us. When we struggle to think that we're loved, we can know that we're loved if we just look at the cross. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can know love. Okay, our third heading, just a short. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can now have Hope. Hope. Here's our verse, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When the Old Testament talks about resurrection, it envisages a great resurrection where everyone is raised at the end of time for judgment day. When Jesus talks to one of uh, Lazarus's sisters 
and he tells her that her brother will rise again, she thinks that he's talking about this time. Jesus' resurrection then, in many ways, comes as a surprise. Because resurrection is something biblically that belongs to the end of time. Jesus' resurrection then is an outlier, an anomaly. It's like that spring flower that pops up earlier than all the rest. It's like that first hint of summer before summer arrives. It's a foretaste, a first fruit of what's coming. And that's why Peter can talk about it in terms of giving us a hope. Jesus' resurrection brings us a living hope. Part of the problem with talking about this is that our word for hope in the Bible is not uh, our word is not quite the same as the word in the Bible for hope. The words are slightly different meanings. With our word, you find yourself saying, I hope it's sunny next week. I hope the restrictions end soon. I hope Leeds United win the Premiership. Sorry to all those uh, Huddersfield and Manchester United fans out there. What I really mean is that what we really mean when we say I hope is that I want it to be, you know, I want it to be sunny next week. I want the restrictions to end soon. I want, insert team here, to win the league. But that's not how the Bible uses the word. Hope in the Bible is more to do with that flower popping up, or that blast of heat before summer, or the first fruits on a tree. It's a promise of something certain to come. Spring will come. Summer will arrive. The other fruit will appear. If it was a football analogy, it would be that point in the year when your team is so far ahead of the other teams that it's impossible for anyone else to win. There are still matches to play, but the result is already in. Nothing can stop them from winning. And that is the Bible word for hope. You can now say, biblically, I hope they win at that point. It's something certain to come. Something that's unstoppable, but it hasn't actually happened yet. The time we live in, if you like then, is the time between getting those points for the football team and getting the trophy. The victory is certain, it just hasn't happened yet. Jesus' resurrection is that event that assures what is to come. Because he has been raised, we can know that we too will be raised. Because he has been raised to glory, believing in that glory to come, it's not a pipe dream. It's a certainty. If we ever doubt the reality of the future that God promises us, we can look at the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus really did rise, then nothing can stop that coming. Because he did that, we can hope in the future. We can bank on it, we can count on it, we can rely on it. His resurrection is an inbreaking of the future into now. It's showing us that it's really coming. Like an Easter egg in early March. Like someone travelling back in time from the end, showing us what will happen. Jesus' resurrection belongs to another time, but that means it gives us hope. It shows us that that time is coming. And that is why this is hot chocolate to the soul. We all need a bit of hope, don't we? We know what happens when we lose hope. 
Well, because of Jesus' resurrection, we need never lose hope. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have hope. Okay, last heading. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have life. Here's our verse, Romans 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus died and rose that we might walk in newness of life. The New Testament speaks again and again of the way our lives as Christians are bound with Jesus' life. The Spirit links us together by faith, binds us, bonds us together, so that when Jesus died, we died. And when Jesus rose to new life, we rose to new life. That means that we can have new life now. It's not just a hope for the future, it's a reality now. Eternal life, as the Bible talks about it, is not just something that happens after you die. It's something that begins now. The Bible says that spiritually we've been raised to life now. We await the physical resurrection of our bodies, but uh, that what will happen to us physically has already happened to us spiritually. We have life now. Listen to how Jesus talks about this. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's from John 10 verse 10 and John 17 verse 3. Jesus wants us to have abundant life. Not just existence that goes on forever, real life. And he explains that as a living relationship with the living God. In Genesis, that's what Adam and Eve lost on the day they rebelled. They lost a living relationship with the living God. They died spiritually, and eventually their bodies caught up with the fact, if you like. What Jesus restores by his resurrection is that life that we lost. The Spirit links our life to his, and we are raised to new life, to a new relationship with God that starts now and goes on into eternity. I mean, just think about it. Life without God that goes on forever would be awful. Let me explain. Imagine you've done everything. You know, all your favourite things you've done millions of times. You've gone everywhere. You know, you've seen the Northern Lights 23,000 times or whatever. Or swum with dolphins or whatever it is that you want to do. You've met everyone. You know everything about them. It would be like a day trip to one of those tourist attractions that you can do in about five minutes. Do you know what I mean? I remember years ago uh, going to see a million pounds worth of gold when I was on holiday in Jersey at a museum there. And it was interesting for about a minute and a half. And then it was done. You know, you, you sort of see the pile of gold and then well, it's done. Imagine spending a day there. That would be eternity without God. But God is infinite, 
inexhaustible. There'll always be more to know. There'll always be more to love. We begin to know God now, but really we're just scratching the surface. We get to know God's love. We get to enjoy him forever in that new life. How is this hot chocolate for the soul? Well, don't we want life rather than just mere existence? Don't we long for life and real connection, for purpose and meaning? Well, here it is. It's offered to us in Jesus' resurrection. We are raised to new life. And Paul says in Romans, we're to walk in that newness of life. The new life starts now. We're meant to enjoy that life now. So when we feel dead inside, we can look to the new life that is given to us in the resurrection. When we feel far from God, we can remember that the resurrection has restored our loving relationship with the living God. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can have life. And the challenge is to live in line with the implications of this tremendous event. We talked at the beginning about the fall of the Berlin Wall. But some huge events can get some getting used, take some getting used to, can't they? There was a film a, a good few years ago called Goodbye Lenin. And it tells the fictional story of a proud communist East German woman who was in a coma during the life-changing events in Berlin in 1989. When she awakes a few months later, her family are told not to upset or shock her in any way. So they keep the charade up that nothing has happened. They show a videotape television and get friends to join in on the ruse. Of course, she eventually finds out and must come to terms with what has happened. But friends, so often we live like that woman, carrying on with life as though nothing has happened. But Jesus has risen. He's alive. And we have been raised with him. And this is good news. Because of what Jesus did at Easter time, we have mercy, love, life and hope. And Christian, this is what it looks like to live in line with that. Bask in it. Glory in it. Rejoice in it. Let these things occupy your mind. Let these things be the things you think about when you get up in the morning. Let these things be the things you turn to when you're tempted uh, to despair or you're finding things hard. Don't carry on life as normal. Life as normal is over because Jesus rose from the dead. Something even more tremendous than the fall of the Berlin Wall has happened. Jesus has died and risen. And he offers us mercy, love, hope and life. Will you grasp hold of those things? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for that mercy, love, hope and life that is offered to us because of the events of Easter. Father, pray that we rejoice in those truths, bask in those truths. Father, we pray as we start out today with a new name in a new place. Father, pray that those truths would characterise us as a church, that we would show mercy, love, hope and life and that father you'd be with us and bringing us joy and taking us to glory 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.